mean to be a church in this day and age? And what are some assumptions we have? Maybe what are some things we need to cast off and take up? Kind of just letting the scriptures guide us into what does Christianity look like in a culture that's becoming ever more challenging? And so the book of First Peter, written to Christians who were kind of in fighting within the church, but also dealing with some persecution outside, is a really good book to help us kind of ask these questions of ourselves. Uh, boys and girls, make sure you have your uh, children's translation here. You have a place where you can ask us questions, and we'll be looking at your version a few times as well, so make sure you have that uh, with you. For the rest of you, we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 5. You can open up your app there on your phone or turn there in the bulletin, or if you have your own scriptures, however you want to do it. Before we go to God's Word, let's go together <clears throat> to the Lord in prayer. Now, Father God, we do thank you and praise you that you have given us your scriptures. We thank you that you have not left us uh, to to wonder what you want us to do and to be and to how we come to know you and to how we help others know you and to how we live faithfully. We thank you that you've given us your word, not only to instruct us, but to change us, that you actually give us grace by your spirit through the preaching of your word. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do that this morning. Build your church uh, through and perhaps even in spite of the messenger this morning. And we ask this, Lord, in... Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, so to get us into the mindset of this text, of where Peter is trying to go in this short little section, I want to remind you of a movie that came out about 20 years ago now. Can you believe it's been almost 20 years since The Lion King came out? Remember The Lion King movie? Remember Little Simba and everything? It's probably hard to see. I couldn't find a good slide to do this. There's that one scene in The Lion King where Simba has gone off on his own and he's just kind of abandoned his tribe and he sees his dad as a ghost in the clouds right now theological clarification boys and girls the clouds are not your dead ancestors talking to you okay it's just a cartoon but anyway he sees it and they have this conversation and his dad his dad Mufasa looks at him and says you know what you have forgotten who you are and therefore you have forgotten me and he's like no dad I haven't I haven't and it's like the emotional climax of the movie he'd abandoned his identity as the true king He'd lived a life of frivolity with no responsibilities. He was being completely selfish. Even when he found out that his family and his pride, the, 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 the tribe of lions, I guess, was in need of him, he didn't care. Without this grounding in the reality of who he really was, he could not be who he was supposed to be. And that is what this passage is about today. Peter has told us last week we saw that based on who Jesus is, his church is supposed to be this beautiful thing where we love each other earnestly because of the promises of God in the gospel. That based on the grace of God in Jesus Christ, we are a community empowered to really love each other, to deep brotherly love. And we demonstrate then to the world that we don't have the factions and the infighting that's so common out there. The things that divide everybody else don't divide us because of the power of the gospel. That well, sounds so good, doesn't it? But as we know, the church is full of messed up people like us. Right? I mean, we divide over petty issues. We gossip. We say one thing. We do another we don't make it easy to love each other. We need help. And so this passage today, these five verses are that help. How do we actually love each other well? What does that look like? 
Peter gives us specific instructions on how to demonstrate this earnest brotherly love he commended to us last week. And so with that in mind, let's look together. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is God's Word. <clears throat> so, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is God's Word. And so what Peter tells us here is that the gospel sets us free to love each other earnestly. And in that love, we give up our hang-ups. We simply cast them off. We cast off the idol of our church so we can be built up into God's church. And that gives us our theme for today. We're going to kind of look at how you know, often nostalgia and, and familiarity have to be cast aside to see God's kingdom come. Or we could phrase it this way. We chase our dreams. But in the gospel we crave God's dream. See a healthy church craves growth in the gospel. As the gospel then grows the church. So let's see how that works out. A healthy church craves growth in the gospel. Verses 1 through 3 as we jump into this text. Are actually one sentence in the original language. Um, and the main thought for that whole sentence is actually found right in the middle of verse 2 where it says, long for the pure spiritual milk. Now, that is super churchy language, isn't it? Right? And that just, that's just super churchy language. Long for the pure spiritual milk. What is that? Like, if I, if I were to ask you, so what is spiritual milk? You could probably give me some sort of religious-sounding answer. You know, instead of just saying, I don't know, because you don't know, you would like, um, it's about, you know, what is that? Well, it's all that stuff from last week, basically, is what he's saying. All that stuff, brotherly love, commit to brotherly love, earnestly love each other from a pure heart, all that stuff, that whole situation is spiritual milk. In other words, to long for spiritual milk we could say, is to be who Jesus made you to be. To long for spiritual milk is to be who Jesus has made you to be. See, the church is to be a loving community where we experience and express real love for each other. But as verse 1 shows, that, that congregation he's writing to, they're not loving each other well. They're full of They've got malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. I mean, they got all that stuff going on inside the church. I mean, there was no earnest brotherly love there. But rather, what does verse 1 tell us? Man, there was lies, there was suspicion, there was hypocrisy, there was slander. You know, there's not a lot of evangelism going on in the church that's got those things going in it, Right? So he says, well, here are the steps then to begin manifesting that love since y'all aren't doing it. He basically says, look, cast all that junk off. He actually uses a verb that they would use when you first come into your home and you would take your outer tunic off and just cast it off. Just throw it on the ground. Cast it off. 
is, you know, just, just take that stuff off. Slander, done. Deceit, done. Hypocrisy, done. Get rid of it. See, he's talking to those who are already in Christ. Those who've been set free from their sin, they have the power to do these things. In the church, we who are born again, when we pick up things like envy and slander and deceit and hypocrisy, it's because we choose to. It's not because we have to. And so he's saying, cast those off and embrace the brotherly love from last week. I don't know about you, but I got a lot of hope studying that this week, remembering that Peter is talking to the church. Because clearly the church is not full of perfect people, is it? It's full of dysfunction. It's full of fear. It's a place where it's hard to love earnestly because it has people like us who are hard to love. How does that change your view of the church? And your view of your place in the church to recognize that Peter is writing this stuff to a church. Or maybe for you non-Christians here, you know, one of the things that non-Christians say is they're kind of suspicious of the church often because of hypocrisy or a perceived hypocrisy. And Peter tells us that your perception is accurate. The church is full of hypocrites. We're a group of sinners who need the gospel. This is a hospital for sinners. This is not a museum to showcase the saved. We have not arrived, and so if you're here and you, haven't, you don't think you would call yourself a Christian and you see it, these people are messed up. Yes, we are. That's why we're here. We need Jesus. Again, let's look at verse 2 again. Let's look at that context. How do we do that? What are we supposed to do? Verse 2 tells us. It says, look, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. That's the instructions. How do you cast this stuff off? You pick up something else. You long to be who Jesus has made you into. Oh, dear flock, what what do we long for? What are our priorities is really the question. Again, speaking to Christians inside the church, what is it that we long for instead of pure spiritual milk? What is it we need to cast off so we can do this? I mean, this is why factions pop up in a church. This is why there's suspicion. This is why there's slander. Because it's a good thing. And it's turned into a bad thing. Our passions, our particular talents, our areas of interest, they lead us to get involved in certain things. Like if you can sing well, and you like to sing, and you like to be around a group of people who can sing, you should probably be in the choir. Your heart will be fulfilled when you sing in the choir, and you'll help us worship you. And that's a, worship with the choir, not worship you. That's a great thing. If you have a heart for the children's ministry, you tend to be involved in those things. If you have a heart for fellowship, you're in the fellowship committee. If you have a heart for this kind of worship, you're in this team. We have a heart for things, a passion for things, so we get involved in those things. That's great. But the problem is, is we start to then value our little niche area over the whole. And you know we do this, right? We all do this. And the problem is that without a grounding in the gospel that reminds us that we're all together in this and we're messed up and we have to love people who are hard to love, without resting our identity in Jesus, we start to rest our identity in I'm part of the choir. I'm part of the fellowship committee. I really go to this church because I dig what is happening with the children's ministry. Whatever it is, we start to look to that as our source of joy and comfort instead of Christ. And then we start to look with suspicion on those who don't share our service. I don't think they appreciate 
the fellowship committee as much as I appreciate the fellowship committee. I don't think that they appreciate the choir as much as I appreciate the choir. And we can't help but have this suspicious attitude pop up. And then if we don't watch it, it turns into slander and it turns into gossip. And all of a sudden we're right in the middle of verse 1. We're like, what do we do? See, it's not just our areas of service in the church. Many of us who've been around church a while. I've been, I've been in church since I was you know, 12 years old. I have opinions about church. I have certain things that I love, certain traditions. I get certain nostalgia from certain particular hymns. I do. And we all do that. We, we look to these things and we take great comfortable, uh, comfort from things that are familiar. Feelings of nostalgia like that. And we can do that more than the gospel. And so when the familiar is shaken up to try to help the gospel be more manifest in our church, the more gospel in our hearts, more gospel in our community, sometimes we can get a little upset because our particular comfort is being messed with. And so when those things happen, that if we're not grounded in the gospel and saying it's hard, but I'm going to love this person anyway, instead we fall into deceit and malice and envy and slander. But instead, what he tells us here, he, he says, long for the pure spiritual milk. Long for the gospel to be manifest in the whole church. That's not just religious talk. When I say that, don't slip into this religious mindset of, you know what, I've done that. You're right, I've done that. I've got to do better. I've got I to I gotta, I gotta try harder and I've got to be more loving. Yeah, okay, I'm going to be more loving. Here we go. Okay, what muscle do I squeeze again? Right, okay. You know, we don't, don't think religious terms and think, okay, he's telling me that this is not doing well, so I've got to try harder. That's not what Peter is telling us here at all. Peter is trying to get us to go back to look at grace. That's why he tells us, cast off because of who you are and then pick up and be who Christ has made you into. Be the new creature grace has made you into. I want to make sure you get that because we all fall into, okay, I'm not doing well, let me do better, let me try harder. I don't want you in that mode. You've got to get out of that mode or it would be worse instead of better. So I want you to think of, if you haven't read it, I'm sorry, I'll do my best to try to explain it, the Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis has this great, great series called the Chronicles of Narnia, and the third book in the series is called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's this one character who is just, he's written on purpose to make you not like him. His name is Eustace. It rhymes with useless, and he's supposed, you're supposed to think of him being useless because he's just a terrible human being. And it's complicated, but basically because of his own selfishness, he puts on this magic thing and it turns him into a dragon. It's a children's book, okay? So, anyway, he actually changes his heart as a dragon. He becomes more useful. He sees what it's like to serve other people. And he kind of has like a religious experience inside the narrative of the story. And he no longer wants to be a dragon. He wants to be a better person. And so he takes his own claws and he starts ripping off his dragon skin, trying to get himself free of being, and there's this fresh dragon skin under it. And so along comes Aslan, the lion here, who's the Christ figure in the Chronicles of Narnia, and he asks him, do you want to be made new? And he's like, I, I do. And so Aslan, this huge lion, just jumps on him and just rips him deeply and tears that dragon skin off to reveal a new child underneath. 
And it's a picture of salvation. And it's also a picture of C.S. Lewis reminding us, basically what Peter's telling us here, you can't just change yourself. You can't just rip off your old dragon skin and try harder to become new. No, something bigger has to come in. The grace of God has to come in and make you new so you can then cast off all these things. Peter takes us back to the grace of God. After he gives us the command to cast off all that junk in verse 1, the key for victory in verse 2 is what? To long for the grace of God and the gospel to be in your life. He doesn't give us a corresponding list of good things to strive for. Thank God. I know you're Presbyterian, but that one should have been an amen. He doesn't give us a corresponding list of good things to try really hard to do. Instead of slander, say something nice. No! Right? I'm mad. I, don't want, I want to slander him. I don't need to be told to say something nice. I need to repent of my slander. See, he doesn't call us into having better behavior. He calls us into being made better by something else. He tells these Christians, walk in the power of the gospel to be the better people you already have been made into. You already are these better people. That's why you just cast it off. You chose to pick it back up again, cast it back off. See, when we get that, we see striving to be good and we rest in the gospel and out of that changed nature, we will cast off these things. Because when we get the gospel that we are sinners before a holy God, we will recognize, I deserve to be slandered to God. I deserve to have the malice of God. I am deceitful to God. I am a hypocrite to God. I don't have the right to ever accuse anybody because I'm the chief one of those in the room. And I've been forgiven by Christ. And in that grace, it changes. Man, how could I ever slander my brothers and sisters? See, when you get the gospel, you just cast those things off. We can assume that these people in 1 Peter probably knew the gospel. They were very much closer to these events. They actually saw the apostles. And so we should ask the question of them and of us as Christians, as those born again, why then do we do the things cataloged in verse 1? And it's because of insecurity, because of fear. We have to bring others down. We think we have to perform to be accepted by them. But we can't keep it up. It's too hard. And so we end up being susceptible to hypocrisy ourselves. See, but if we're rooted and grounded in the gospel that through the work of Jesus Christ, we're actually cherished by God, approved of Him as a child, we can be strong and secure and able to love each other. We don't have that fear. You see, Peter really tells us in probably one of the scariest verses in Scripture that verses 1 and 2 are actually a test. Let's look at verse 3 together. Notice what he says, how he sums it up. He says, look, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Dear flock, this is a gut check. Are you actually a Christian? If you slander, if you fall so easily into lying about others, into suspicion, into hypocrisy, into deceit, into malice, and you don't grieve over it, you don't long to be free of those things and hate them, but actually you feel quite justified in doing that. Thank you very much. God's Word says don't be too confident that you actually are a Christian. 
that you have actually tasted the Lord's goodness. See, being a Christian is not a matter of intellectual content. It's not a matter of knowing certain facts. It's about knowing Jesus Christ. Peter says here, you must experience Christ. We must know Him as a person, not as a principle. Now that's some big, fancy words and some interesting, hard talk. So I want to try to talk to the children here. Maybe the adults will get something out of this too. Boys and girls, here's what we're talking about. Maybe you can help mom and dad understand this later. Okay, this is class participation time, boys and girls. What is this? Apple, yes. Did you know that there are like 200 species of apples, variations in the world? I didn't know that. Did you know that the apple is actually a distant relative branched off the rose family? So, guys, if you're, if you're dating or if you're newly married and you're poor and you just can't afford a dozen roses, get her a dozen apples and say, hey, Pastor Sean said. That's right. So this apple is firm, boys and girls, okay? It is fresh, it's juicy, it's crisp, it's round. I understand apple, don't I? There's nothing else I need to do to understand this apple, is there? Is, it, is, there, is there something else I could do to understand this apple? Anybody want to take a guess? Anybody? Oh! Oh, I was really good. I didn't know that. You see, I knew about the apple, but I hadn't tasted and seen that the apple is good. See, what Peter is telling you here, there's lots of people in the church who need to taste and see that the Lord is good. They know a lot about, but that about hadn't changed them, and so they're doing all this stuff of verse 1, and they need to repent and believe the gospel. You see, we can know about God, we can quote theologians, but not really taste the goodness of God through Jesus Christ. This is why the Scripture spends so much time showing us the goodness and the kindness of God, because once we know Him as He is, we cannot help but be drawn closer to Him. You see, we struggle, don't we? Let's, 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 let's be candid. We struggle to know God really as a person and not just as a principle or some abstract concept, don't we? It's hard. And so what happens is if we haven't really tasted that goodness and seen and experienced, we tend to dabble in churchianity because we don't know Christianity. And dabblers don't love earnestly. Dabblers gossip. Dabblers lie. Dabblers slander. They prioritize their tastes over the taste of God's goodness in the gospel because they haven't had it. If you're uncomfortable right now, if you're mad at me right now, have you tasted of the goodness of the Lord through Jesus Christ? Are you longing for the reality of the gospel to be expressed and experienced in our church? Or are you too busy chasing your dreams and your priorities and really, dear flock, to worry about all that goodness stuff? See, we chase our dreams, our priorities, but in the gospel, when we've tasted the Lord, we crave his dream. And so Peter sets this thing up by challenging us to, to are you a church? Are you a healthy church? Because a healthy church craves the growth in the gospel. But then he comes alongside and says, but... That's all the hard stuff. There's the stick. You ready for the carrot? 
the gospel itself builds a healthy church. See, Christians do the junk of verse 1 that we have to cast off because of our mistaken priorities, because of not living in the reality of the gospel. And so we, we feel the need to create our own value and worth. And so Peter, knowing this, being a good pastor, he reminds them of where their value and worth is. Look with me at verse 4, what Peter says to him. He goes, look, you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. See, Jesus Christ is chosen and precious to God, and it is when we are united to him, when we have tasted of his goodness, even in all the junk of verse 1, we are chosen and precious to God. Did you hear that? That even though we are malicious, deceitful, hypocrite slanders to God, united to Jesus Christ because we've tasted of the goodness of the gospel, he sees us as chosen and precious. See, this is a completely different way to be human. Christians are free to love other people in spite of all the junk because we are secure in what the Scripture says is valuable. Jesus Christ is valuable, and I'm united to Him by faith, and so I'm valuable. So I don't need you to validate me so I can love you without needing you. No. See, the world rejected God, he tells us in this verse. He's rejected by men. But God says he's chosen and valuable. And so you know what? United to him, I kind of expect you to reject me. But that's okay. Because I'm chosen and precious of God through Jesus Christ. See, the picture here is, I want you to think of a pile of stones that have come from a quarry. And, and the, stone, the ancient stonemason is going to build this building. And he's looking through, trying to find the stone that takes the least amount of work to be the cornerstone. The, store, the stone that has to be perpendicular on all, in all planes because it sets the foundation. It sets how this wall is going to go. It sets how this wall is going to go. And it sets the level. And so he's got to chip away and make it perfect. But he's looking for the right stone. He's like, no, 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 no. And he gets to Jesus. No. And keeps going. And God's like, no, no, no. This is what we're going to build with. Thank you. And puts it back. And then God says, and everybody who looks like my son, because he, they've been united, I'm going to use this stone. You keep rejecting these good stones, but I'm building with this. You build your thing, man. I'm building my thing right here. Isn't that a great picture of being built by God himself instead of what people try to build everything else on? See, the question we have to ask ourselves is, what do you build your life on? How do you make life work? Culture rejects Christ as unfit, irrelevant, intolerant, whatever. But God is building a new humanity, a new community of people based on something totally unique in history, the person and work of His Son. Have you tasted that person and that work? Maybe you're sitting here and you've tasted the goodness of Christ. Maybe you're sitting there and you're a growing Christian and you're full of love, you're full of joy. You're like, sorry, Sean, I, 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 you're not kidding me today. Man, that is great. Seriously, that is fantastic. But your neighbors are asking these big questions. You can help them find the answers. Just this week on my very short commute to work, I caught a little bit of this story on NPR. So I went back and listened to it later. And it's this story about this curriculum called Big History that's making its way across colleges. And it's just being implemented in some um, high schools. And basically it says, it teaches history. Here's a quote. It teaches history not from the agricultural revolution, but way earlier. It teaches history all the way from a big, the Big Bang itself. 
And what it is, it's an origin story to give meaning to life. Every culture, every worldview, every religion provides you with an origin story to give you meaning and purpose. And now here is one that they're giving to people. And what they say is they want students to see how tiny humans are. This is not my interpretation. This is their own material. They want students to see how tiny humans are, how unimportant they are in all of history. And so they interviewed high school students. Well, what do you think about this? They interviewed several people, and they really liked it. In fact, the, the gist of what these high school students would say was this. Well, you know, they, they're teaching us that everything ends eventually. And so everything really is essentially meaningless with no purpose. So we should make the most of our life now. I think that's horrible. Maybe I'm alone in that. But I was like, are you kidding me? We don't teach existential angst to high school students under the guise of history. You let them get that when they get their first job and realize I'm sitting in a cubicle for 30 years. No, don't do it to them now, right? But these kids are like, yeah, man, life's meaningless. We're, we're nothing. This history class has taught us this. And so, okay. Isn't that crazy? That's what the world has rejected. said, no, we're not going to be based and founded in what God says is good for us. Let's try this. See, but instead of that, Christianity offers verse 5. Look at verse 5. Peter says what? You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What an amazing community and what an amazing connection that he is building. This is why we're to love each other earnestly. We are being built together into something amazing. Jesus Christ, the precious, valuable, living stone, makes us into precious, valuable, living stones so that together, all of God's people, from all times and all places and all races, are being constructed together into God's ultimate home. Isn't that an amazing thought? I mean, you know, we all have the idea of a dream home. Like if I told you right now, close your eyes and just think about your dream home. Most of you have something. Maybe it's a particular layout. Maybe it's a particular view. Maybe it's a particular place. Maybe it's one particular room. But you have that in your mind, don't you? We all have that dream home. And here's what Peter just said to us that's so amazing. He says, God's people through Jesus Christ are being built together into God's dream home. Hallelujah. He's doing it. The people from verse 1 who are so full of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and slander that they have to be instructed, stop, are the same people who are living stones that God's saying, that's my dream home. I can't wait. What if you actually believe that? See, this is why we say the gospel builds a healthy church. The church is so much bigger than we think. We're connected to all other believers. How can we then slander and malign and be hypocritical to our fellow stones who are going to be with us in God's house forever? Oh, did you notice the other great thing here? You know, one of the reasons that we emphasize, we didn't invent it, it's part of our PCA system, but one of the reasons we emphasize over and over again that our session meetings are public. We have a session meeting at 4.30 this afternoon. You're welcome to come, by the way. But everybody's welcome to come to session meetings because everything is done in public. We don't believe in secrecy. Secrecy is bad, so everything is done publicly with a record. Because personally, I hate the VIP mentality. I hate that, like, these are the achievers, we're going to close the curtain, and you stay here. Like in the airplane, right? 
when you're sitting there and like the guy next to you is holding the live chicken because that's all you could afford, and the guy and the stewardess kind of looks at you and she goes and shuts the curtain to the first class, and you know they're like having a party and there's like you know all sorts of stuff happening up there. Like I'm not one of them. I'm outside. See, outsiders get envious, want to slander, malign, and deceit, and are suspicious of the insiders. But here we are told that we ourselves get to be the priests in God's dream home. There are no VIP rooms. There's no more exclusion. There's no more being an outsider. We get to be the insiders in God's dream home forever. See, through Jesus Christ, we go right into God's presence and we worship him for eternity. And that future, all of that truth in the gospel, all of that grace empowers us to live these lives today, here That's the cure for verse 1. The cure for casting off all that stuff from verse 1 is right here in verse 5. We offer up the spiritual sacrifices, a life of worshipful joy here. And when you have that mentality, when you are rooted in the gospel, when you're offering up your life as a spiritual sacrifice to God, it is almost impossible to slander and malign the other stones in God's house. See, it's the worship of God that should fulfill us. But when we've turned our hearts over to other things to fulfill us, we want those things to be worshipped. And when those things aren't worshipped the way we want them to be worshipped, we fall back into doing the things of verse 1. But when we see ourselves as chosen living stones in God's dream house, when we have been united to Jesus Christ by grace, when we've tasted of his goodness, we've been changed by such grace, we will find that our priorities suddenly become God's priorities and we don't have that envious, slanderous heart anymore. Instead, we have an incredible, brotherly, earnest love for other Christians. All by grace. See, it all goes back to the gospel. Your officers are committed that the future of Trinity is not in tradition, or in innovation, it's not in nostalgia, and it's not in new and novel. It's not in the way things have always been done, and it's not in the way things are done now. It's in the gospel. Verse 5 shows us that the future for all Christians and the future of Trinity is the gospel, that we would be rooted and grounded in God's acceptance of us so that we love each other and love our community, all by grace. So I just want to end with this. Notice in verse 5, that main thought there. Our being built up. It's passive. We are not called to build ourselves up. God himself is doing the work of customizing us to build us into his dream home. He's doing it. So how do we know that we're a chosen stone then? How do we know that we're part of this? Verse 3 have we have tasted of the goodness of the Lord. And so what? Verse 2, we then long to be who we were made to be in Christ. And then verse 1, we prove it by casting off all that junk. All of that is empowered by our coming to Him through His chosen and precious Son in verse 4, resting in the gospel He shows us in verse 5. It's that simple. Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for our slander, for our gossip, for our hypocrisy, so we have the power to just cast it off. 
And in his resurrection, he then set us free from those things. So we don't have to go to those things for our value. Instead, we go to him. And so we don't want to be envious. We don't want to slander. And when we do, we quickly go back for repentance and grace because his gospel shows us. Oh, if you're here today, and it doesn't matter if you have called yourself a Christian or if you haven't called yourself a Christian, this is what real Christianity is. It's not a social club where we come together and we make ourselves into good, pure people and we judge those out there. It's where we come together as repenters and say, I am the chief of sinners. I am hard to love. But because I'm rooted in God's love, I'm going to love you. And we reciprocate that back to each other. There are some of you in the room who you need to look at how you have treated your other Christians in this room over the last several years. There are some of you in this room who you need to say to yourself, I have slandered, I have had deceit, I have maligned, and I have been a hypocrite. And you need to repent and believe the gospel. And if you can't do that, you have not tasted to see that the Lord is good. You have fooled yourself into thinking you're a Christian and you are not born again and you are destined to hell. And I call on you even in this moment to set aside your comfort, set aside how embarrassing it would be for a longtime church attender to admit it, but you need to confess faith in Jesus Christ and publicly accept him into membership in his church as an actual born-again Christian. For all of us in the room, in certain moments of our day, everything I just said could be said of us, and we know it. Don't look to do better. Look to taste even more of the Lord so that you will long to be who he has made you to be, and in that power you will cast off all those things. In other words, whether you're a Christian or not, the message of 1 Peter 2, 1-5 through 5, is to repent and believe the gospel. And then you can love each other. Let's pray together. And Father God, Lord, your word promises that it is a sword that cuts deep. And Lord, as hard as it is, we ask, I ask, Lord, that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit and that you would cut your people to the very heart. I pray, Lord, that as we saw in Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but I pray that you would, by the Holy Spirit, bring us deep conviction, Lord, of our sin. Deep conviction of where we have lied about others in, in, in the church, where we have slandered, where we have been envious, where we have been hypocritical, where we have shown the world that Christianity is nasty. Would you bring us deep repentance, not out of guilt, out of wanting to be who you have made us to be in Christ. Would you help us, Lord, to repent and believe your gospel yet again because it's hard. Father, we pray that you would do this by the work of your spirit, not through emotional manipulation, not through feelings of guilt, but Lord, would you convict us deeply and build your dream house even in these moments. Lord, we pray you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.